3: Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Axon Tire would like to give a couple free gifts away to the Moving Iron Podcast listeners. One is a, a an Alliance flashlight and an Alliance baseball cap. So if you want one of those, send email to market at axontire.com and they will make sure to send that over to you. For free. So if you also, if you want to be one of the first 150 people to sign up for the Moving Iron Summit, Axon will give a $50 discount to all the, to those first 150 people. So if you're interested in doing that, go to the Moving Iron LLC website, which is movingironllc.com. In the upper right hand corner, click on the Moving Iron Summit tab and fill out the information there. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for your trucking needs at Valley Transportation. Our goal is to help you reach yours. Powered by farm equipment, Ag Direct is, is built for today's agriculture with simple application, quick responses and competitive rates and generous, flexible terms. Ag Direct offers buy, lease and finance options on almost all types of new and used equipment, non-recourse and timely funding back to the dealership, plus sales incentives to other no other ag equipment lender works like AgDirect. Learn more by calling your AgDirect territory manager at 888 9805 or visit us at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 million heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and actual pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Able AppWorks. The either Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management it is an affordable Salesforce based solution. For your dealership, to create connected customer experience to transform how you work today. I've got Sean Hackett on here from Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. Nice to come on and talk about what's happening. So, Sean, how are you doing this morning? I'm
2: I'm doing really really good. Out of McCook, Nebraska.
3: McCook, Nebraska. Just in time for a little bit of snow, so you don't don't get too get the opposite of what you're normally used to. You get. Some snow and and some cold and
2: yeah, they're calling for around three inches or so, and you know, thirty-five mile an winds, and uh, you know, looks like I, th- I think it's a good day to go for a walk.
3: Yeah, I think you're probably right, and that's just, you know, that's Nebraska right there for you, right there. <laughs> thirty-five mile an hour winds can't can't live without them. Nope. So yeah, they're, but they're,
2: but I did, I did I did I did rent a big truck, so I'm 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 I'm, I'm good. Oh, there you
3: go. It's
2: nice big truck. Four wheel drive. Four wheel drive. Four-wheel You know, that sucker's gonna
3: make it. There you go. (laughs) There you go. go. (laughs) Oh boy. (laughs) All right, man. (laughs) A lot of stuff to talk about today. Um, You know, you talked a little bit about it um, in uh, probably about a month or so ago, but we've fallen into a a geopolitical uh, cycle where you, you see these cycles fire up every about every 7 years or so i think is what you said and and uh we're we're definitely seeing one now so we got the stuff with ukraine and and russia still going on and you, you know cranes asking uh, the un to help kind of stop russia from blocking the, the transport of grains out of the the corridor area that, that you see happening there um you've got the whole china us balloon thing um that they're all chinese are all fired up about and so as you take a look at this, there's a lot of this geopolitical unstableness on top of everything else we have ongoing with the econ- economic instability that we see, Sean. I guess taking a look at this, how are you seeing the market react to this, and 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 what do what are your thoughts on, on moving forward here?
2: You know, I mean, generally speaking, um, you know, when you get into geopolitical escalations, um, it tends to cause governments to spend more money print more money, um, and it tends to disrupt the travel or the flow of commodity goods. And it makes everyone worried about availability of supply. um, And so everyone starts to panic and starts to look at what they need the most. Do they have it? If they don't have it, they better go get it before something happens where they may not be able to get it for a while. Right. Um, and remember, all we know is Russia, Ukraine, and possibly you know, Taiwan and China, but the, a, a geopolitical cycle means an escalation of the cycle into 2026, 53.5-year cycle. And it means there's a lot of stuff that's going to come that we're not even aware of right now that's going to be added to the pot of what we already know. Um you have no doubt in my mind. Middle East is going to get involved in this. No question in my mind. Somehow, some way, sure. yeah. the Middle East is going to get involved in this in a big, big way. And that's probably your next shoe to drop to bring in the Middle East into this. And at some point, you know, the way these fifty three point five cycles are, it does become a global altercation. It becomes a global geopolitical event, war, whatever you want to call it. Where everyone is getting involved at some point. I don't think we're quite there yet. I think it's going to. You know, some dominoes have to fall first, but I think the Middle East is the next place to um, to get drawn into this. I think, and you know, once again, when I'm looking out at uh, all the, that uh, the food and the energy that are impacted by Europe and Ukraine and Russia, you know, it just seems to me that upside price risks due to geopolitics are going to continue to surface. Like they always have through history. We always in our presentations, we always show a chart that goes over how commodity prices tend to surge into these geopolitical peaks because of everything we just said. So, so that's something that's not going to go away. And it's it's additive to you know other factors right now with China's China coming out of COVID and other things that we think are gonna to lead to a fairly favorable environment for commodities to have a rebound in the back half of 23 that's our general overall view on overall commodity prices
3: right um so looking into um some of the stuff that we see going on you know we've got some some uh crash reports and, and that have come out that, that show um obviously like we talked about some increases and in what we've seen across the board there and looking at that and he's talked about um, seen some reports about you know uh, palm oil out of uh, out of the uh, Indonesian and those areas Malaysia and what have you in those areas where you're seeing an increase there, Sean. So I guess taking a look at that at that palm oil thing and you know India's talking about um, their uh, soybean meal and being exported at record rates. A lot of stuff right now around that that vegetable crush uh, a soybean crush um, arena. I guess so. looking at that, Sean. What are your thoughts there, and how does that affect what you see happening?
2: Well, we know this crazy U.S. policy to develop renewable diesel. By the way, for those that aren't aware the difference between renewable diesel and biodiesel, renewable diesel is actually, you can use it as diesel, like it's refined fuel, whereas biodiesel is not refined fuel. So... Renewable diesel from bean oil is like is like getting diesel from crude, instead of getting diesel from bean oil. And if you look at how much of this we're going to need, um, at the, you know any t- if from late this year into 25, how many soybean acres we're going to need, and you look at the drought we've, we 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 still are enduring here in Argentina, the number one exporter of bean oil in the world, and you look at policies in Indonesia to produce more produce renewable diesel vegetable oil you know and then you have of course sunflower oil in ukraine i mean vegetable oil is just is in it isn't a pickle it's in a pickle and um i don't know you know i I, i've talked to a lot of people who are supposedly smarter about this whole arena than i am and no one really has any idea how this is going to work out other than i think it's going to be pretty chaotic and there's going to be some significant price spikes to the upside from it because the government i don't believe has thought this through very carefully and remember don't really realize how much vegetable oil is used in almost every food we eat. It's right. a huge, hugely a important yep. uh, human consumed product, and if we're going to take a ton of it and use it for energy fuel instead, it's a big deal. And um, so I look at all that, and I just you know that that is just something that I think is another one of those bullish levers that are going to be pulled later on in the year. And it's going to cause some um, some supply demand dislocations. Obviously, the Argentina drought very very poorly timed because they just so they dominate the export of, of bean oil, and they're not going to have the supplies to export in the upcoming twelve months like they normally would. So everything is saying that just really really tight supply. Now the flip side of all of this later in the year, we're going to, everyone who crushes beans is going to produce a lot of bean meal. So that means that we're going to have a lot of bean meal here in the U.S. that we won't know what to do with. So the way we're looking at it, Casey, is that U.S. raw soybean exports have to fall significantly. You can argue they have to fall zero to really make it work if you can believe the demand that's coming. Um, And we're going to replace that export with becoming the number one exporter of bean meal in the world because that's what we're going to be doing is taking all those raw beans, using it to make bean oil, instead of exporting it to countries who then crush it. But we're going to be producing all this meal that we don't need. And instead, we're going to sell the meal to, every, to the world. We're going to be the bean meal exporter of the world, is what it looks to me. This is how we're going to morph. We're to, we're totally changing the way the normal supply food chain is working here in the soybean complex. It's a dramatic change. And I don't think the market's ready for it. I mean, uh, and I don't think the government has thought it through, but so, so this is a big transition and I, you know, I don't, I don't think the market's going to go through a big transition like that and have everything just act normal. It's going to take a while to reestablish. Oh, no beans from the U S bean meal from the U S you know, it, the, 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 food chain is going to have to be uh, the plumbing. is going to have to be redone. And so I think with that, there's going to be a lot of uh, interesting, uh, price distortions from it and most of it from what i can see is going to be the upside whether that means lost corn acres uh, because of it or lost wheat acres because of it or um you know brazil has a bad crop and they're the go-to person for raw soybeans and wheat and because we're not selling it anymore you know it's really going to be interesting to see how all this plays out casey so I, I look at all of that and i just wouldn't you know if i'm a if i'm one of these processing plants that's all this money to get ready to make renewable diesel out of bean meal i mean of soybeans i gosh i sure i'd make sure i got myself buttoned up before i got that plant finished because i don't know you know what they're going to have to pay for that later in the year if things get chaotic Um, and the other thing is if buyers of raw beans aren't getting it from brazil and they need to get it from us then they're going to have to pay our soybean price high enough so that the soybean crushers don't make any money crushing the right. bean. Meaning yep. so, so, so if we are going to export soybeans, it's going to have to be at a price that cuts off kind of like what happens with ethanol. Corn gets too high. The, the ethanol plants can't make money. They pull back and that, and that frees up corn, right? It's going to be the same thing is so what price of soybeans w- will be needed so that the, crush margin plus the subsidy remember the government's handing a bunch of money out so that net now what's the price of soybeans have to be so that the exporter is paying a price that they that that's that the processor can't pay i haven't done the exact calculation and it depends on a lot of moving pieces but it's substantially higher than we are right now um so 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 i don't you know like i said i'm not smart enough casey to know how all this is going to play out but i sure think there's upside Especially if we get any kind of weather problems this summer, like we're anticipating with El Nino being delayed and potential Glassberg cycle, you know, mm-hmm. it's just just a lot of things going on right now that says to me that this correction in commodities um, and this uh, current uh, depression we've seen in commodities for the last year, um, you know, we strongly think that you know this first quarter we're we're putting up we're carving a low out in the overall commodity complex, and I think as we start to get into the second quarter onward, some of these levers, you know, taking the SPR off the market. Was that due to crude oil? Right, just a lot of things, Casey. Just a lot of things, and I. Uh, it's exciting time, but you know, if I'm a, if I'm a buyer of a lot of these physical things, and you and you're getting a, a fertilizer prices are you know on the low side of the market. There's a lot of things on the buy side right now, cash wise that you can do that you couldn't do six months ago at a much better level. I would be taking advantage of it if I'm on that side of the cash ledger right now.
3: All right, so had add insult to injury here. You've got. The very southern edge of uh, Brazil's soybean growing area that have really have some strong concerns over drought situations that they have there that are being persistent <clears throat> that are not um, not clearing themselves up and they're they're worried that there could be uh, they could reduce the soybean crop in that particular area by about forty percent, which would bring it down from. Uh, a, a huge amount of of soybeans.
2: it's South Brazil is going to be down. That's I mean that draft's been horrific. It's definitely going to be down. Of course, you know, the Northern and Central has been really, really good. So it's still going to be an overall good crop, but it's not, it's not as big as it could have been. Right. Had the Southern regions been mm-hmm. good. Um, the other issue is that I don't think people, a lot of people understand this, that they, that Brazil had its third coldest growing season in 50 years, this growing season, third coldest in 50 years. That means that the beans are late in developing, late in maturing. A lot of the, plant, uh, the harvest delays, which many have attributed to rain, which some areas have seen that in the central and northern areas, a lot of it's due it's not ready to harvest yet. It, yeah. it, it, it's it's delayed, it's, uh, the, the maturation is delayed. Um, and so of course that means that the oil supplies are gonna be delayed coming to the marketplace. Um, if they're delayed too long, you know, you, you give more chances for Mother Nature to do something, to clip it a little bit. And of course, I'm, more importantly, it means that the second crop safrinha corn that comes in behind it gets delayed, which is, which is already starting to get delayed. And if it gets delayed too much and you start pushing maturation and corn pollination out into April and May, the dry season starts in April and May in Brazil you know, then you start having to take the top off the corn crop and say, "Well, it's, it could be okay, but not great." You know, these are all things that are going on right now that are just, you know. Of course, we know we know Argentina's a disaster. So, when I look at all this, I know we've talked about it on the show before. I, I it's Brazil's not going is not going to have net aggregate production that's going to be big enough to save the day. It's just it's okay. It's going to kick the can down the road a little bit, but we absolutely haven't solved the problem, and we're going to need a big U.S. crop. And if Mother Nature says maybe not, then we have a problem in the market because the markets are not priced correctly for that. Um, but you know that that's not today, that's not tomorrow, but that seems to me to be coming. And one thing I also want to mention, Casey, on something to pay attention to: stratosphere is really messed up right now. It's it's just it's in significant destabilization. Um, The upper stratosphere has warmed very, very significantly, and it looks like we could get a little bit of a connection to the troposphere, the lower stratosphere. We've talked about this in years past. Um, And while I'm not expecting this to be a long-term affair, uh, it does look like we could get a uh, short and sweet and kind of like what happened in December. You know, it was like two weeks of like the coldest Temperatures anyone has ever seen in many areas and then it just went away. Um, it, it looks like we could be set up for another one of these one to two week crazy record cold blasts like near the end of the month into the first part of March. I'd be keeping an eye on natural gas and I'd be keeping an eye on obviously winter wheat. Um, a lot of the warmth that we've had, has melted a lot of snow and uh, it, it, there could be significant areas of of Soft red winter wheat and hard red winter wheat that are going to be exposed to something like this. So, I think that's something to, to kind of pay attention to. Um, I think it's a good. There's a good chance we could get something for a list, you know, a quick shot. But it could be pretty severe, and it could really set, you know, the natural gas market, which is under three in the nearby, and obviously the wheat right. market could set some, some, some short-term fireworks there. So. You know, if you're someone that needs near-term wheat or near-term, you know, natural gas or propane, you know, I just be a little careful. Um, it, it could be pretty severe. At least I don't like I said. I don't think I mean it's 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 going to be like a month long of this. I think it could be short and but it, it 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 has the potential to be like coldest temperatures seen anywhere in in, in a good swath of of the Midwest and the, and the East. You know, it has the potential to be like what it was in December, just really really crazy cold for one to two weeks. So keep that squarely in your mind it's it i think there's a really good chance this could um deliver
3: here so okay right on and you're you're seeing back to your point on the winter wheat side you know you got france out there lowering their wheat export forecast what that looks like too so it's just even even a bigger thing all the way around there you show so all right so cattle and hogs talk about those for a little bit so if you're looking at cattle and hog situation um you' still seeing some <clears throat> some things where you see some strong you've seen some strong gains this week um uh, in hogs, and you've seen um a similar thing um on the reverse side on the cattle side. so I guess looking at those two markets, Sean, what are your thoughts there?
2: Hog prices in um, Europe are at all time record highs because of what happened last year. With the mass herd liquidation, the terrible drought, the lack of feed, Um, China's hog prices started to surge. They've continued to battle African swine fever. They're reopening. They're getting a lot of meat protein. Pork is cheap. The U.S. has not grown the hog herd in four years, and they're now losing money in hogs. Um, at the current prices, you know, uh, we know that the cattle cycle is impossible to turn the cattle cycle around anytime soon in terms of the low animal feeding units. So, so, so the whole situation with livestock in terms of the amount of animals that are going to be available globally to come to packing houses, to feed, which should be a robust period for at least Asian demand. um, is not going to be there. And so, you know the back half of 23 into 24 should be a pretty exciting time. And if we get El Nino later in the year into 24, we get big grain crops, we get cheap feed prices. That's when you rebuild the herd. <laughs> that's when you re- that's when you rebuild the chicken flocks. That's when you rebuild the hog herd. That's when you rebuild the cattle herd. That's when you go into herd rebuilding mode. And that's when you get your least amount of available supply of animals coming to the marketplace. I still worry near-term demand is going to be challenging, meaning the demand from here to the second quarter, I think it's going to be challenging. And we've seen some hiccups in hog prices. We've we've seen a little bit of a hiccup here in cattle prices. And I still think there's hiccups to come here heading into the second quarter because I don't think these demand side levers are going to show up uh, in time. And the animals coming to the market are not really going to cave in until we get into the third quarter, the back half of the year. So I'm still cautious on the livestock sector um, you know, for a little while longer, but I'm pretty wildly optimistic that those that are in the livestock business have the potential to see what may be some of the best equity building opportunity to sell um, their product. In late, you know, the back half of 23 and 24 that they've ever seen, or one of the better, best times ever seen to put equity in their businesses. So it's a, it's a little bit of a yin yang situation.
1: Well,
3: good stuff as usual, Sean. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is do doing a hack of financial. What's the best way to do that?
2: Website is Hackett, H A C K E T T, advisors.com. They can check our Twitter page at uh, at Faraday 11 and they could also check our. LinkedIn page if they just do a search for Sean Hackett or Hackett Financial Advisors. Sometimes we update some of the things that we do to see if what our work on markets and price forecasting could be a value to your listeners.
3: Well, good deal. Well, Sean, appreciate you being on the podcast, man.
2: Anytime, Casey. Look forward to it as always.
3: All right. Safe travels in the wintry north as as you make your way. As you make your way through well the done. snow and the wind. <laughs> All right, buddy. All right, I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to uh, LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and check out the um, Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel, which is the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. So check it out there. Go to Moving Iron LLC for everything Moving Iron related. And uh, if you want more information about the Moving Iron Summit, go to the upper right-hand corner, click on the Moving Iron Summit tab, that's September 11th through the 13th, and if you want that $50 discount, be one of the first 50, 150 people to sign up, and you will get that discount. So with that, I am Casey Seymour. We're Sean Hackett. we to smart folks.
1: Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com.
2: Find us here, moving higher.